Hey everyone, a big welcome back to the Nick Elston Show, season five, episode 19. Really excited about this one. I know I say this quite a lot, but I genuinely am really excited <laughs> about this one. I was kind of like humbly gone about my business and I was uh, a rocks up at East at UK, uh, way down south of England, uh, for those who are kind of further flung than the UK. Um, and I was delivering a talk and there's this one kind of ball of energy at the back, this great kind of character shining through. And that character is, ladies and gentlemen, Jake Moore. Ooh. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the show. You okay? Yes. Great. Thanks. Do you know what? We were chatting just before I hit record about kind of the admiration for kind of what I do in my space, but it has to be said, it's certainly reciprocated kind of like global cybersecurity kind of specialist. You've been on TV and everything else, <laughs> but we're going to go into all of that, I'm, I'm sure, because there's going to be lots of rabbit holes knowing me and you uh, that we're yeah, going to yeah. dive down. But however, as a high level overview, tell us who you are, where you're from and kind of what you're about. Okay, well, so I'm the Global Cybersecurity Advisor for ESET. That's Europe's number one cybersecurity company. Uh, so my job is to give advice on cybersecurity to businesses and employees and the public, because uh, people tend not to know everything about cybersecurity, and we got to dodge those scams. But I've got 14 years experience in the police force as well, which is where I learned my craft. I learned how to ethically hack, uh, look for digital evidence, go to court, you know, look at murderers in the eye. I mean, I've had some crazy times in the police force, but I've learned how a criminal works and I'm really impressed by criminals, in fact. Um, hopefully we'll come into that in a bit. But that's actually what got me into my job. I love crime. Yeah. But uh, with that knowledge that I've learned, I, I now hope to advise lots of people how to stay safe online. Love that. Thank you. And as I said, we definitely will go down all those rabbit holes for sure. <laughs> One of my last employee roles was um, head of partnerships for a, a software company. And uh, I didn't even know that ethical hacker was a thing. And so I was talking to the founder and good friend of mine, Ollie. And he was saying that he kind of like pays somebody to kind of ethically hack his system just to see, to kind of proof it. And I thought, that's a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've done this. I've, I've been asked to break into companies um, and then show them what yeah. I found. Um, and I can then make a few blogs out of it as well. So it's a lot of fun. Maybe we should take this as like an in-person idea. We're going to like kind of get paid by people to burgle their places. <laughs> or are we going down yeah. a really weird angle, right? You do need permission. <laughs> Put it there. Okay. I appreciate you telling me, Jake, because 14 years in policing is going to give me that reassurance for sure. So I'll leave that alone. Um, but I, I think I think a great place to start is actually right at your beginning. Tell us about baby Jake. Tell us about kind of growing up, where you, kind of again, where you Jeez, grew yeah. up, education, that kind of stuff. Um, okay, tell so, us about your journey. So, um, well, I live in the south of England, Dorset, love the beach, still got a massive love affair with the sea. Beautiful um, place, Dorset, as well. If you've never oh been my there, God, yeah. go. <laughs> really beautiful yeah. place. I think the whole world seemed to come to Sandbanks in uh, <laughs> in the first lockdown. So I think everyone knows where Sandbanks is now. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little kind of, I'm, again, going down another like a little rabbit hole, yeah. Dorset specific rabbit hole. But um, I were a big fan of going to kind of on the RSPB reserve in like quieter places on the coast. Love that. Beautiful. Yes, beautiful. That's, that's at the start of the Purbex. Now you're going into the really amazing places into the Jurassic Coast. But yeah, I go, that could be a whole separate podcast <laughs> exactly. all day long. I'm sorry, Jake. Back <laughs> to your story. <laughs> that's fine. So I um I wanted to go to London to go to university. So after school, I went to uni. I did maths over 20 years ago. Um, and I still didn't know what to do. So I, my mum just said, well, just do what you can with your best subject. So at the time it was maths. 
And then at the end of uni, I still didn't know what to do. And my mum said, right, here's your chance to go and get a job. You've got to do something that you love. That will make it a lot easier in life. And I said, well, there's only one thing I actually really love is um, is bank robberies. And she says, you can't, you can't be a bank robber. I said, well, okay, fair enough. Um, I remember this, we were walking on the beach and she goes, I've got an idea. Don't be a bank robber, obviously. Um, why don't you go and work at the police station? Go and ask them for a job and, and see if there's anything that you could do. So I applied for 11 jobs at the police station and got nothing back. I, not even in an interview for any of these jobs. And I thought, this isn't working. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I got this phone call and it was this guy and he said, look, Jake, um, I see you're, um, you're applying for nearly everything with no experience. Um, you, you can't get any of these jobs. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I just, I just desperately want to work there. And he said, I, I can tell that. How about you take this filing job? It wasn't even for 10,000 pounds a year. And, um, and you can start on Monday. And I said, yes, I always remember that saying, you know, foot in the door. I thought, mm. yeah, I'll take it. I'll love that. You know, coming out of university, going to work in the police station, I thought I'd made it and I loved it. But within three months, I was there chatting to the chief commander and he was asking me my background. And he said, if you've got a mathematical brain, an analytical brain, we'd love someone to analyze robberies and burglaries. I couldn't believe my luck. I was about to go and analyze robbery. Uh, this is basically the other end of being a bank robber, just learning <laughs> how they do it, but not getting arrested. So um, that was pretty much the start of my, um, I must admit, my very fun career. It's been an amazing 20 years. I loved every moment in the police force. I was given loads of courses right the way through the birth of computer crime. That was fascinating. Uh, right yeah, of course, you would write that kind of, that the cusp of that becoming actual thing, isn't it? Yeah, it was huge. Watching it grow, things like the dark web and Bitcoin, mm. all these terms that I didn't know about, but we were trained in because we had to know what to look out for and what criminals were using. And it's now obviously huge. I think 50% of crime is now fraud or cybercrime. Wow. Can I also say you're being a little bit modest here because I've done my research. I'm not as daft <laughs> as I look. I kind of am. But let's, let's pretend I'm not. <laughs> Uh, so you've kind of through individual awards, serious organised crime, national police award, Dorset Police Staff of the Year, and obviously that's gone on to kind of winning awards actually within ESET as well. So you've become <laughs> very, very good at what you do. Am I going to say this or not? Let's go with it. The stereotypical kind of math geek kind of stuff. You don't strike <laughs> me as that. Is that the kind of the nicest way of putting that? It, we always kind of feel that they're going to be kind of looking like Will from the Inbetweeners or something and that kind of like nerdy <laughs> kind of thing going on. He's a, he's a legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, he absolutely is. I'm with you on yeah. that. But yeah, that that's the kind of the, the impression that you get. So do you say you fit well. this typical mould of the, the kind of the, the maths genius? I wouldn't say genius, but no, I think I think 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I would have agreed with you. But in the last 10 years, I've seen stereotypes has been thrown out the water, mm. um, which is amazing. And um, I love the whole, well, the, the cyber crime industry, or cyber security industry, I should say, <laughs> is very diverse. And it's awesome seeing people from all different backgrounds and skills to come together wanting to go forward with that. But yeah, 20 years ago, definitely, there, there weren't many people that wanted to necessarily learn about computers but then go and jump on stage and i must admit i love going on stage talking to two three hundred people telling them a story about cyber security 
in the hope that they'll go away and do something that I've maybe talked about, like download a password manager or, or something, something yeah. small that will help their life from not getting scammed. Because at the end of the day, I want to still protect people. I think that's what I loved about the police force. I could really get in and help the community out. So, so now if I can still do that by just talking to them, then what a buzz that is. Yeah. Absolutely. So your first speaking experience, actually stepping up, stepping up on the stage and doing that, was that from within the police force or was that after the police force? Yeah. So in the police, I left the digital forensics unit. Now, that's where I used to get computers, take them apart, actually in a lab, mm. um, look for evidence. Um, I think one person said to me, it's not like finding a needle in a haystack. It's finding a haystack and not even knowing if there's a needle in there. That was <laughs> stuck with me thinking that that is data forensics yeah. in a nutshell um so yeah obviously there was no speaking events in that but then the cybercrime team formed and one of the chiefs asked me if i could go and join that very new department mm. um but it was not only having the experience of computing but being able to go and speak to the public and i thought you know this is quite a cool idea yeah why not and i didn't know where i'd be going and <laughs> i kid you not i was thrown into women's institutes and yeah. um uh, very small library groups. I went around Dorset. I did something like a hundred talks in eighteen months. Yeah. Um, to very small and strange groups, but my God, it gave me confidence. It taught me that I love questions on on my subject, and if I don't know the answer, I'm going to hold my hands up and say I don't know. It taught me so many things. So when it got to a bigger platform and a bigger stage within ESET and talking to the world's press. Um, although I still get nervous, I still go back to where I kind of got that first platform, speaking to a women's institute. I mean, I missed the cake, but it, it's still <laughs> something there that, that is able to, to build on. And I love it. Joe, sure, I think you're hitting a nail on the head there. I think the most common question I get asked in my line of work is, how did you become a professional speaker? Is that the as you just showcased? You do hundreds of free gigs first to rotary social groups wi yeah, rotaries, yeah. because when you're when you're testing your material and your confidence and flexing your kind of speaking muscles in front of an audience which is not paid and actually there because they want to hear what you're saying it's a different dynamic than when you suddenly get put in front of the world's press or when you get paid to de deliver something it changes the dynamic and yeah i love that approach and yeah. i love the way that you've kind of found that because a lot of people kind of they try to skip the shoe lever when it comes to speaking and, and stepping up yeah and i have learned to love it i must admit um people have always said to me like oh you're a confident guy but it's different when you're confident around say a group of your best friends mm. and pulling the joke in front of them to yeah. actually going up to speaking in front of people that they, they might actually do you know what i would say about that could fall asleep i've had that it was a rotary club <laughs> there are about three guys falling to be asleep. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> To be oh, fair, that oh won't God. be a reflection on you. Trust me, it won't be a reflection on you. <laughs> but um, I, I thought to myself, should I take that as a as a hint, or should I joke about it or not? And and you know, all those things. It's weird. I've got these like two voices at once. I'm able to now do. I can speak while I'm thinking, uh, and that is um, a tactic that I've had to learn under pressure. But yeah. you know, don't get me wrong, I still get nervous every single time. But I've yeah. just learned these little tricks to um to build on that and like i say enjoy it again it's such an, a powerful point that there's an assumption that people will look at you 
especially with the the media stuff and think like hallelujah this guy's got his shit, like his absolute shit together he knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> he doesn't get scared at all he's just kind of there looking fantastic and delivering his stuff but actually it takes effort and management and harnessing that anxiety doesn't it and yeah. So your first media kind of because you've, you've done some big stuff. I mean, you've done some kind of big channels some big uh, uh, programs. It's wild. Your first <laughs> your first time in front of the cameras. How did it look and how did it feel? Actually, you know what? The first time I did do it was with the police um, because the the press found out that my job was the first in the country as this protection officer. Um, wow. And so the local ITV news came and sat me down in the chief's office, camera, and they started asking loads of questions. That wasn't live, thank God. Um, and this guy started asking me questions and I just couldn't, I could, just couldn't get the words out. And there was this camera in my face, but I wasn't allowed to look at it. And all, all these things are going on in my head. That I've, I've got to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Cybersecurity is huge. This is what, six years ago. Uh, okay. And he was like, right, what are your top tips? Um, um and then he turned to our media rep and said look if he doesn't know what he's talking about he's in the wrong job and i heard that and went i, I do uh i'm sorry i'll do it this time and oh, clearly I, I just took so long you could see his eyes rolling going looking at his watch I i've got somewhere else to be wow. and and it just put it oh it was horrendous now they, they brutal. Seemed, it was it was, it was horrible brutal. They kind of got one sentence out of me for the evening news that night. And then all of my mates started sending me memes. They created memes of my face in a, as a still from the image. Mates. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember with my mouth open, my eyes looking up, and it said in meme text, it's a meme font, I have no idea what I'm talking about. I've still got that meme. And I look at it every so often and go, yeah, I still go. <laughs> I mean, that, that's an interesting one in terms of your delivery that, that what I have seen you on and obviously from knowing you in person and, and through this show right now, that actually what you see is what you get. When you're talking about uh, a subject which has a very kind of serious element, is there this inclination or desire to want to change your delivery to match the seriousness of the because because i guess that again there's this expectation of if you're going to talk about cybersecurity, you'll be serious and straight yeah. <laughs> oh god you're so right you know actually do i i take it back to when i was in the digital forensics unit and we would have murders come in and their computers would come in i mean and there'd be a dark sense of humor there was oh my god there was one of my colleagues she was horrendous her sense of humor would have got her arrested if she was outside <laughs> of that lab right <laughs> She was amazing. Um, and then I, I, I did take that on thinking, I can't be joking about a little old lady having a £20,000 savings being stolen out of a bank account. Yeah. How am I going to bring my personality into this? How am I going to make this relatively interesting and fun if I'm there going to be like a classic copper going, yeah. we need to nail this guy, whoever did this, which is equally right. So it, there's, a, there's a fine line to it. And I think you you can do it without bashing the victim you never want yeah. to be pointing the finger uh, there's always some good advice i think that's where you do it it's like the ups and downs of it you know the, the seriousness is there but also hey it doesn't have to be difficult there's some yeah. really fun training you can do um yeah the ebb and flow of of how you can do it and hopefully that works I, I, we've been lucky enough over the the course of the seasons to have 
many people that have kind of come from a, a police background or even military come to that military or mm. emergency services frontline stuff and actually that dark humor thing is a is a constant kind of throw into the conversation purely as a coping mechanism a lot of the time people use that as a kind of a defense mechanism actually realizing what kind of shit they're wading through every single day yeah because you're going to see some really dark stuff as you said in what you've alluded to as well so there is that risk that it could taint your your view of the world i guess is that ever been an experience that you've had to manage yeah so when i first started i remember i think i i cracked into a a, a computer that had a difficult password we had all the tools that could do it um and once i got in i then went well because then it would go to a different department to grade if it was something indecent and it's right there and it, I, it just freaked me out but luckily we had um uh what's it called we had oh God, sorry um what's it called <laughs> uh, well not therapy what's it called Counseling. Uh, yeah sorry yeah. so we had counseling every six months yeah and to, to talk about anything that we might have seen if anything had upset us okay. um and i didn't have kids at the time so we talked it all through and it was all good and we had that that counseling every six months like i say and, and that was excellent but once i had kids and i was still in the unit i then changed my job and i became the the manager of the unit so i i didn't ever get hands-on with those computer so you wouldn't see anything too dodgy so that was a, a way that I kind of coped with it but yeah you're absolutely right with the dark sense of humor mm. it does keep it going and uh we did have some funny times and we had some particularly funny people in there I think every day we would be really laughing our heads off and it was even funnier thinking if this conversation got out God, what would people think of us? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you then made the leap to the corporate world through through uh, ESA. It was just the one leap, wasn't it? It was a direct leap from the. Uh, how did you find the experiences of working in the the kind of the frontline emergency services environment into the corporate environment? What was the the main differentials for you? Yeah, so I I actually planned my exit from the police a year before I got it. So um, I was in my second year of the cybercrime team going around the county what felt like the second lap uh, I kept on doing the same kind of things and I realized that actually I could do this on a national level I'd love to go and speak to businesses um, from a private entity and ESET were actually next door to the police station and we'd been used <laughs> yeah you know, talk about yeah. local life yeah. um, we'd actually been using ESET antivirus on uh our computers and my sergeant years ago had always said it was the best one and I was like god this is pretty cool this is this is kind of fake possibly so I arranged um a, there was a talk with local companies that I was um giving and I made sure that my boss now was going to be there so he'd listen to me so he'd get to know me but without me saying give me a job and so he got to know who I was and what I was doing and that happened twice over a couple of months and then I took him out for a coffee he thought it was going to be to do with business and I said I've got an idea I'd love to do this job for you and he said that's not bad actually that's quite good timing how nice. about you jot that all down I'll send it off to our bosses in uh we're in Europe in Slovakia yeah. um and maybe there is something there we can um, have a little play with and so I had to go and effectively write my own job spec and give it back to him he got the the chief sales officer over and we had a chat um it wasn't an interview 
I mean, it was really an hour of just laughing. Um, I think my boss at the time said, um, yeah, it wasn't the RMD. He said, look, it's going to be quite tough. I think you may struggle uh, making him laugh. And I was like, that's a challenge. Okay, good. I went in there and we had such a good time. We were basically laughing the whole time. And at the end of it, he said, right, you can start in a couple of months. So I then took two months off from the police force. It was 2018, a lovely summer. Um, I actually just uh, enjoyed two months chilling out with my wife and kids and down the beach and so on, and then started in what is now my dream job. Lovely. I love the fact that you kind of engineered sounds cold, but that kind of, I think there's that kind of opportunity is everywhere. I think it's the the attitude that makes a difference, isn't it? And I think, like I said, the fact that you went with purpose and and got that position, Mm -hmm. I love that. I remember yeah. talking a, a few years ago now, but it always stuck in my mind that uh, I was speaking to an HR uh, kind of recruiter and they mm-hmm. were saying that actually one of the best things that you can do is start to reach out proactively to companies saying, this is how I can fit into your company. And like you said, write your own job spec and actually create something. Because actually once a role's advertised, it's kind of, is there and it's gone yeah. pretty much. And I think there's something in that. I think I, I really like your approach on that. So are you truly being heard in life and in business? And think about that genuinely. If the answer to that is no, then you've found the right event. If you want to give yourself that boost personally and professionally, come along to find your voice live. This is will change your life. It's, this will be the game changer that you've been looking for. It provides me with the confidence in myself to prove to myself that I can do it. I can get up on stage. I can speak. There's absolutely nothing to be nervous about with these events. It's very, very open, very, very relaxed. Help my confidence go from here at the beginning of the day to here at the end of the day. Hey everyone, my name is Nick Elston. I'm an inspirational speaker on the lived experience of mental health and a transformational speaking coach. I'm the founder of Forging People and Find Your Voice Live is our flagship event where we cross the boundaries of personal development, mental health, transformation and public speaking. Your ability to speak, to deliver any message to any audience with clarity and power and emotion will have an ultimately defining impact on your success by your own definition of that really subjective term. Speaking is life, speaking is business, speaking is education, and that's the thing that we focus on most. What I find is that people are here for many, many different reasons. Some people do absolutely want to be a stage speaker or a professional speaker. Some people want to be able to represent their business uh, or to lead a team or inspire a movement or create a story. But even actually, some people want to be here just because they want to feel they want to be heard at home. Maybe they, they don't feel their opinions being heard, that they can't say yes to the things they want to say yes to or no to the things they want to say no to. Again, this is where personal development meets mental health, meets public speaking to create a real positive impact. At the end of Find Your Voice Live, you will walk away with massive confidence around delivering your message. The ability to stand up and deliver means you will enhance your self-esteem in an amazing way. You will also have the skills and tools and tips and techniques to not only deliver a presentation, but to structure a presentation, to find your audience, to be able to deliver emotional storytelling to help your audience feel and make them want to be part of your tribe, make them want to be part of your following and really tune into what you're truly about, to truly make yourself heard in life and in business. If you're sat on the fence, if you're still not sure, take the model that I use, say yes, 
worry about it later, and I'll make sure that you're looked after brilliantly. Myself and my team will make sure that you have an amazing day, a transformational day, that will have the desired positive impact that you want to achieve. I mean, well, yeah, it, it just seemed to work. I mean, I feel like I did it with the police force as well. Um, just going around saying hello to everyone. I mean, that's how I I bumped into the chief commander who gave me that that original analytical role. Mm. I actually went up to him. I remember saying, so what do you do here? And all the people around me just moved <laughs> away and went, what the hell is he saying? And he said to me, all right, son, classic, you know, 20 years ago, cop. Yeah. Did the, does this badge mean nothing to you? Pointing to his shoulder. And I went, no. That doesn't mean anything. And he went, do you not know who I am? And I was like laughing, thinking, God, I didn't know people said that. Um, and then he goes, how about, how about you, son? How about you tell me who the hell you are? So I just went, well, my name's Jake. I've just started here. And the next minute we're friends. And I, I would look at that and I still see him around funny enough sometimes. And I love it that I can just, uh, well, just give that advice to anyone now. Mm. I say that it, it's so true. Say hello to everyone. Say yes to everything yeah. and enjoy everything that you do. I love that. I think that's how it kind of all kind of reaches out, especially at kind of like, is it seven degrees? Of, uh, yeah, I've heard that. Degrees, yeah, yeah. And I think there's something in that. And we certainly find that through the podcast as well, that by tapping into different audiences that you just have such a big reach you never know who you're impacting and especially the bit i want to go down now actually you could create a lot of positive impact without you even knowing that you're doing it and i, I love that and the bit that, that again, is around the cyber security element i guess is that from a generational perspective i think that certain, i'm 44 now so we i've been brought up with a a good knowledge of kind of tech and kind of loosely how to kind of see if something's genuine or not and then they got better at doing it and i think that's the difference isn't it so i think that the the the, the kind of the opportunities to catch you out are far more kind of cosmetically kind of there now to actually yeah. be fully believable and even so even with that generational thing of my kind of my in-laws and my well my parents are quite tech savvy but my in-laws for sure they would have a real challenge with spotting a very to me would be an obvious thing to to kind of catch them but now i think it's it's so difficult and you throw in social media hacking as well which has happened to my local football club recently to the the the, the new ceo there that's happened too so mm. all of this stuff is out there what's your kind of take on this and what are kind of some of the simple things that people can do to to kind of tell these things well so similar to you probably um i always like to know my audience and know the audience are going to have vast difference in their knowledge mm. um we might even assume that young people are really savvy but they're not always cyber savvy which i find mm. um whereas um the older generations they might know that something's too good to be true yet when they see something and in, maybe it's a, a free five pounds well, that's not too good to be true. It's believable. So they might be clicking on that. So everyone's got these different um, vulnerabilities within them and no one's completely hack proof. I mean, we are we are humans at the end of the day. And I talk a lot about hacking the human. I always find that element a really interesting part to it. I always wish I'd learned more about the psychology of, of crime. And um, whenever I meet a psychologist that's done a, a criminal uh, part of their degree, I'm always fascinated like it's story time and tell me more how do they work and i've learned so much in that time about the language used and so on and there's this campaign that the police use um 
take five campaign it's called and it's all about stepping back from anything taking five minutes speaking to other people that, that really works with older generations not the younger generations because five minutes is a whole year to them they want things instantly ah <laughs> oh, i've got to keep picking and scrolling uh and so it's learning where you may be most vulnerable and you know someone who might click on a phishing link um might click on it and think it's believable and the next person will go god it's blimmin obvious what on earth are you doing but then if it was a targeted one it might fit in with their narrative we hear the word narrative all the time but it's it's such a such a strong word because if you are a, a constant gym goer and you get an email from even your gym mm. and it says just download the attachment we've lost all your details that might fit in with the narrative of that person because it fits in with their life and but I could find out which gym you go to by just clicking on your Instagram. You've probably yeah. posted a, a post gym shot with your shake saying, check out um, what I've just done. Welcome the to the minute, gun show. <laughs> well, I wasn't <laughs> going to say it. But... <laughs> and, and the next minute, an email comes in from that gym. Well, that person's thinking, well, how else would they know? They're not, they're not stitch, stitching it all together. I think that's what's so important with these targeted attacks. They're very clever. So what I do in, in a lot of my talks is tell a story of a genuine story about how I've gone about it myself to prove how easy it is. I've used it on law firms to to break in uh, digitally. Um, I've even I even broke into my old police station after I left uh, to see how easy it was. I've cracked into people's WhatsApp, Snapchat, uh, PayPal, I even took money out of someone's PayPal once, uh, all with uh, the permission of that person but just to prove how easy it is um i hope that that makes people realize okay it, it is actually everyone here that is susceptible to crime mm. um and we just need to keep our wits about us but the more training we do the more training we give uh it's more uh, in an exciting way you just get those people to click and understand that they might need to take an extra few minutes just to do their due diligence yeah absolutely that's a fascinating subject. I was reading on your LinkedIn that you were kind of you were asked by a friend to regain access to a, a Instagram account, um, yes. and you managed you managed to do it. Yeah, God, so that was that was a big one. So um, yeah, my friend rang up and said, "Oh my God, that she says, don't tell me I told you so." Which is the that's the first one. <laughs> don't go. Why didn't you listen to me? Uh, and she says, "Yeah, I know I should put more security on board, but." someone's taking control of my Instagram account, which is a classic these days. Um, and that can cost people money if it's attached to their business. She's actually a PT, personal trainer, and it was connected to her, her clients. And she'd give out these like little free bits of training with her Instagram in the hope that someone would come along and book her in for a session. And so she was effectively losing money from the moment she lost her account. And it's really a personal thing, isn't it? Um, mm. Her account was, was messaging her friends doing this, what's called the side tracking uh, um, offense, where you go along to your other friends pretending to be that person, um, asking them to send money, saying, oh, I'm locked out, or can, can you send me a code? And it just gets bigger and bigger. And I had done it before, um, but a long time ago, got someone's Instagram account back. Um, in the last few years, I've tried it and not been successful. So I thought I'd give it a go again. And she said, well, it's that or nothing. So let's just try. And Criminals are so clever that the amount that they've gone through, they'd got to her email account, for example, and then blocked any genuine email from Instagram. So when you went to send the forgotten 
links, it would it just wouldn't turn up in her email address. And I've I'd heard that they'd done this before. So I found three different emails that they'd blocked. So we unblocked them. And then she had to send this video of herself to prove that it was actually her. Um, but then the the codes were being sent to another phone because they'd gone in and changed the phone number. It all got really difficult. And at one stage, I didn't think it was going to happen. But um, with all of these things, I'm so determined to do everything I possibly can um, that I was finally successful. So I blogged about it in the hope that other people in the panic of, oh, my God, I've lost my Instagram account. They can now Google how to get it back. If they find that blog, then I'm hoping that some people will get their accounts back and then make it more secure next time. Amazing. Awesome stuff. Very, very clever. All the links to what Jake's talking about, all the all the links, Jake, will be in the bio. So please do connect and uh, I'm sure I'll be happy to hear from anybody who has any questions as well. Um, yeah. I, I guess, I mean, this is a huge question and and I'm not going to tell you off if you don't know it right now because I'm not an ITV cameraman. Um, <laughs> but what are kind of like some of the simple things that people can put in place right now just to make life a little bit safer without getting yeah. too heavy into this stuff? Okay, so the number one thing to do is for all your social media and your email, which are probably the most important accounts that you've got, mm. just go and turn on two-factor authentication, sometimes called two-step verification. All it wants is you to put your phone number in there um, so it can send you a code should you get locked out of it. Mm. Um, if, if you want to go one step further, you can download an authenticator app, um, Google Authenticator, or Microsoft Authenticator are brilliant, they're free, and then you don't need an SMS code like your bank would send you, for example, to okay. prove that it's you. Um, it's on your phone all the time. They're encrypted, so uh, no one can hack into it. So um, even in, in the past, actually, we've even been able to see SMSs being sent because they're not actually encrypted, but it's one level higher. And on top of that, just make sure all of your passwords are actually unique. Don't use your dog's name, dot one, or you, you, the, the numbers people one, two, use, they're always, <laughs> the numbers people use, they're actually always related to them. One of my party tricks I used to do, I, I don't do it now because I think people just find me a bit weird, but um, you could break into people's phones after a quick chat with them. It's kind of like a Darren Brown little wow. thing. You, you get to know them and you work out roughly when they were born by what they were into as a kid and you can think okay well i've got 10 goes i'm gonna guess that they were born in in this rough year or they might talk about their kids or their dogs and then you go um can i just have a little attempt with your phone and you, honestly it was about four or five times out of ten i better crack into people's phones wow and then it doesn't even matter if you've got to factor authentication or, or whatever, because if I get into your phone, I'm going to be able to hack into pretty much your life and see the amount of people I see with poor numbers uh, to just get into their phone. If you lose that phone, that's your life gone. So, yeah, make sure it's completely unique, that code. Jake Moore, mentalist. Love that. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> that's really, yeah. really cool. Um, yeah, thank you so much. So away from away from work in, in terms, like I said, you already mentioned, like you go like going by the coast, you kind of like going by water mm -hmm. and stuff. But what kind of what does recharging look like for you? What kind of really kind of gets your energy back up? What do you like doing away from business and professional life? Oh, the number one thing is the sea. I love every water sport going, like growing up by the sea, whatever the weather. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Um, in fact, I'm part of an, oh, such a lovely uh, sea swimming group. Every Friday morning, we meet up down at Sandbanks, seven o'clock. 
um it's you know last friday we were there for the sunrise just after seven that was beautiful um there's a few of us that meet up every week and all year round no wetsuits allowed now i know wow. a lot of people talk about cold water swimming um <laughs> it yeah it, it is actually quite just oh, it's, it's amazing it, it does something wonderful to the soul uh, but i think it's also to do with exercise as well so i run or i cycle every day um sea swim once a week and, and just enjoy it love that so yeah. i guess actually a couple of people have mentioned actually more recently around kind of cold water swimming on here but take us into that a little bit so is this something mm -hmm. you, you can literally can't just jump in and then jump out again is there that's the, well actually i probably would if it was freezing but the point i, I love swimming <laughs> i've never tried cold water swimming but in terms of like body temperature and stuff especially in the in the colder months is is there like a, like a pre-match and post-match routine you've got up yeah yeah there is so um we've been doing this for well, about a year and a half now so we did start at the right time the right side of summer last year but mm. we decided to keep going through the winter months um and there's lots you can do so in the summer months you don't really have to worry about it of course the, the sea temperature in, in Bournemouth and Paul gets to about 20 degrees at the end of August but it can get down to about seven degrees in about February time which yet yeah, it is pretty bitter however the rules uh, that go with it are you only spend the amount of minutes in the water that it is in Celsius. So in February, seven degrees would be okay. seven minutes maximum. Um, if it's under 10 degrees, I would suggest to most people not to put your head under as well, because that can, it can actually cause you to go a bit dizzy and, and also, of course, go with other people. You don't want to be doing this on your own. Mm. Um, and then it's about the the post warm up. So you must be able to keep or get warm quickly because your body temperature apparently or keeps dropping after you've got out especially there's a cold wind as well wow. so you find the shelter and then lots of people use those dry robes or similar yep. things these days um joggers on you know thick socks beanie and then a nice hot coffee or whatever drink you're into and amongst friends this is it's really fun uh i don't think i could do it on my own even though i love the sea um i mean i go in on my own when with a wetsuit maybe a paddleboard yeah uh, february march time but that cold, you need, need the camaraderie of your friends going, we're all in this together and it bloody hurts. I can't feel my foot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by about 11 o'clock on a Friday morning, you might get the feeling back to your feet or your toes. Yeah. But it's like, oh, it's amazing. And the, the feeling for me is the the salt water on my skin just makes me feel alive. And and then watching Wim Hof over the summer, I just went, wow, you know, that's an extra level. I don't, <laughs> don't know if I'm going to go there yet. <laughs> I watched the episode with Patrice Ever on, like, we refused to get out, and they go, you can't get out, you've yeah, genuinely got to get out right Imagine. now. Yeah. Well, they say it, it really starts to get you. I've always liked plunge pools in holiday, on holiday, um, when you've got the beauty of a sauna next to you as well. Yeah. Um, uh, saying that, there's actually a sauna down at Sandbanks now all through the year. It's quite nice. expensive, but you, you can go into it. You've got about a three-month waiting list. Um, but, yeah, those plunge pools, after a while, I find if you don't move, you start to not feel the the cold because it's only when you tend to move or swim do you feel it and if if you get your your head in gear it really can be just this invigorating feel uh you just feel alive mm. love that thank you 
So I guess what's next for uh, for Jake Moore? What, what's what's the the future look like? I mean, you already seem as, as a man on a mission. Um, you seem <laughs> to have engineered a life by design. Is there any kind of big outrageous goals that you, you really want to aim for? Or is it a case of kind of like seeing where you are right now and, and kind of taking it from there? Well, yeah, a few of my friends have tried to say what that is for me before I've even worked it out myself, funnily enough, because I do feel that I've got to my dream job. And it's quite a strange feeling of someone who's always wanted to to engineer the next few years. I've always liked a goal, three year goal, five year goal, 10 year goal, whatever. And right now I've got my wife, my two kids, my house, and my dream job. And it feels strange. And sometimes I think, God, God, well, what is next? But um. I think a couple of my best mates say to me that they would like to see me um, as the Martin Lewis of cybersecurity. Mm. Um, and I think that would be so cool. There isn't anyone who's there just isn't. giving giving out that advice when needed. I mean, Martin Lewis right now, God, I take my hat off to that guy. He is uh, working 24 seven. Mm. But I do like the idea of giving uh, unbiased, reliable advice to people who really need it. Yeah. Um, and if I had maybe even a bigger platform to do that with these sets backing behind me, of course, because I think that gives me the the ability and the kudos to to give that uh, that advice. I yeah. think that would be fun. But that that's a pipe dream. I think that's, you know, a 10, 15 year one. Uh, so for I now, I'm just amazing. pushing it. I, I think you should. I think your friends are absolutely right. I think I can certainly see that for sure. And actually, yeah sooner sooner rather than later maybe because i think with the with the cost of living crisis and, and things being let's face it it's kind of the elephant in the room right now that things are a little bit messed up out there aren't they so i think with that i'm guessing would be a rise in criminal activity cyber or otherwise because a lot of people are being put into that position of fear and i think that there's mm. certainly that space for that so yeah more power to your elbow and anything we can do to help you with that journey you, you just gotta ask us that's, that's all we'll, we'll put you out there as thank much you. as we can um <laughs> I, I love that thank you it's been such a great episode because we're talking about something that we've never talked about on the show but such an important subject and now i'm kicking myself it's taken me five seasons to actually get to this subject but now we know jake it's all good we got our guy so that's good um but a question i always ask everybody that comes on the show is this that i'm now the mc of the o2 arena in london Twenty thousand people come to see the martin lewis of cybersecurity, jake moore i'm just about to call you to the stage you sat back in the green room sipping a, a pint or a prosecco whatever your tipple of choice is and your walk-on music kicks in that song that motivates you that lifts you that gets you at peak state jake moore what would your walk-on music be and why oh there's one tune that i just go back to time and time again it's by uh, my favorite band jamiroquai and the song is space cowboy now for me it's got all the feel of disco funk jazz soul everything it pumps me up it makes me want to dance and if i were to be walking onto stage i wouldn't be walking onto stage with that music i would be dancing probably doing even a little caterpillar along there uh to to say hi to everyone in my own little world I love that. I genuinely feel that you're destined for bigger and bigger audiences. So remember us when you're famous, won't you? And come back and for a future episode. Says you. That's <laughs> for now. Give up. Big round of applause for Jake Moore. Woo! God, thank you. What an amazing guest. A fantastic episode. Thank you for giving up your busy time to be with us today. We genuinely appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, thank um, you. It's been wonderful, Nick. 
good stuff. And for everybody else, uh, please stay tuned, hit like, subscribe, and all that jazz, whatever it takes to keep you coming back next Monday uh, to catch my uh, next wonderful guest. In the meantime, be well, take care, stay happy. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.